This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach. And for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Straight out of isolation, uh, we're back. Uh, it's that COVID-inflected self-care podcast, Spooko. There's a bit of horror movie chat in there somewhere that we eventually get to. But, Jack, while I'm in my self-care era, uh, we touched on some self-care elements last week, uh, and I thought positive self-talk is apparently something I've got to work on because um, you know that like, growing up and you know in any social situation, self-deprecation is the easiest, Right. So like, oh, it's just idiot old Peach doing dumb stuff. Oh, blah, blah, blah. What a goose, right? And then with social media stuff, with coffee and a case note we've spoken about before, you get heaps of comments of like, Peach, you are the greatest of all time. And so you try to like edit out these comments so your brain doesn't turn into mush and you start to believe what these people say. And so I'm, I'm always really, really quick with that negative self-talk. And so now that we're in our self-care era, that we'd like we'd, we'd we'd flip around with some positive self-talk to really get into it. I'm a nice friend, right? I'm a competent lawyer, probably on track to be the best of all time, which is exciting. Uh, the look, leap from competent lawyer to the best of all time seems like a small leap to you, but to me, it feels like it would be quite a large leap to make. I feel like competence is a really high bar. I feel like people are like, oh, yeah, competent. I'm like, competent is, like, stunning. Like, if you can do it then that's great. And a competent lawyer is like hot chips. It's like you can maybe travel to Belgium and have a pretty good hot chip, but it's not like there's some greatest hot chip of all time just waiting for you. If you're a good hot chip, you're a good hot chip. Yep, hugely, hugely. And so few are. What's up? Like, And I'm the best of them. I'm over here in Belgium, so come find me. Um, as a sports person, I had zero natural gifts, so any sports skills I have were just developed through you know years of practice, so that's handy. And, Shag, the most important one is that uh, very soon we're going to be the most successful debut filmmakers in the history of horror cinema. So positive self-talk, what's up? Shag, are you excited to take over the horror scene generally? So... Because you can't just ride on my coattails. Like, we've established no. how dominant I am in the, in the horror scene. A lot of my life I have ridden on your coattails. So <laughs> you're right, it's time for me to step out of your shadow. Uh, the high we've we talk about this off mic, but mm. the higher you get in any sort of white collar industry, the mm. more you get exposed to sort of leadership talk and training. Mm. And something Australians are not good at, but mm. something that comes up quite a lot is this idea of positive affirmations. Mm. And it's a genuine psychological tool that people use to manifest their goals. I hate to use the term manifest, but mm. somebody described it to me in the way that the greatest sports people aren't often necessarily just the most talented because you get to a certain level with sports yep. and everybody's doing the same training. Everybody's yep. got the same coach. Everybody's doing the same. So it's the people who can visualize the win are the mm. ones who are going to get there, which to me as a rational person and as an Australian 
seems like the dumbest fucking thing ever. But yeah. it's something you're taught about, right? So I remember we, we had some coaching about this and they were like, you need to give yourself a mantra, like I guess a positive affirmation mantra that you can repeat to yourself. And I was like, cool, yes. And the, the, the coach telling us this was an American. So I was like, look, like real talk, Australians just don't know how to do it. Like we don't like to put ourselves out there. We don't like mm. to be arrogant. We don't like to be perceived as arrogant. We don't like to be perceived as stepping out of our lane. We like to be yeah. like, no, no, I'm, I'm content with who I am. And We also prefer to cut down. You know, yeah. and so if you've come up in our culture like, and you've been like, I'm the best, you're like, all right, champ, let's fucking find out. Yeah. Like, so we always prefer to be the challenger rather than the champ. So the way to come up with this mantra, apparently, or one way, is to listen to the voice in your head, the negative voice that's telling you something, and then just flip that into the positive. So, for example, if the negative voice of this podcast was shut up, you idiots, you're never going to make a movie and you're never going to find $400 million in funding, let alone $400 in funding, we flip that around and say, hey, you cool guys, you're 100% going to make a movie, you're going to get $400 million in funding and it's going to be the best horror franchise of all time. It gets confusing, though, for me because then I'm like, in fact, yes, I am going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And then the negative self-talk becomes like, oh, okay. And then then you sort of end up getting like a double derivative. But um, if we're we're marching on, Shag, if we're cleaning out our closet self-care style, I thought I should also put, put, put down for the record... Now that we're getting Spooko Studios rolling, the horror films I've actually seen. I feel yeah, like from okay. time to time I'm going, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. And we sort of half bounce around. Yeah, roll call. What other horror films Peach has seen? Okay, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And I forgot Child's Play, 10. So I've seen Child's Play. So yeah. Ben Chilliburdy's birthday party in year six year six is pretty young yeah that's year huge. six i think i was 10 no wonder you have a problem with him anyway keep going the shining seen it yeah yeah Fine. yeah uh scream seen it oh uh, yeah I, yeah i'm not even sure if it counts as horror show uh, it definitely just... does like it's that postmodern. is it is it horror if it's meta and it's like yeah it's just it's horror that doesn't age well but it's so horror <laughs> uh the omen seen it okay yep yep uh, 28 Days Later. I was thinking about this because we've talked mm. about zombie films before. Mm. And the more I think about fast zombie films versus slow zombie films, uh, slow mm. zombie films are always horror. Yep. Fast zombie films sometimes veer into action film territory. Yeah, uh, I completely accept that. You know, Last Last Train to Busan was an action film. I kind of, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well... You're not going to like the next one, right? <laughs> <laughs> which is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which I've seen. <laughs> no, I don't. Why? Why? Like, honestly, if, if, if I'm allowed to hate one thing without ever having read it, it's that. Mm. Like, I'm just like, nothing proves the lack of imagination of meta comedy or meta satire than that because that is a funny comment to a friend at best to turn it first into a book and then into a fucking film shows your deep lack of a desire to pursue or push an idea beyond its very first incarnation in your head. 
it is first level creativity because as you remember all ancient demons were just different animals glued together it was like it's an ox with the head <laughs> of a lion and the feet of a falcon and it was like because yeah, it was like uh, and, and it was actually like what am I seeing in my front yard right now okay so there's a snake and there's a lion yeah. and there's an eagle cool we've got the chimera there it is right there glued to together go. yeah uh, Psycho, seen it. Woof, that was boring. My gosh. Like any movie that's black and white, it just feels like it goes it goes slower. I've seen part of Polaroid, of course. We can probably count that, uh, uh, which, yep, I, yep. which I recap yep. to you. Uh, Lady in Black goes without saying. Seen that, survived. Yep. What's up? Yep. What's good? Yep, yep, yep. Event Horizon is the last one, if it counts... I think I think it definitely does. One day I'd love to do an Event Horizon episode, but today is not that day. Okay. Um, so something mm. horror can do as a genre, mm. something I hope our podcast can do as a genre. We can podcast do it. We can do it as a is, genre podcast. Is yeah. do extreme tonal shifts. Yes. We are great at extreme tonal shifts. This is an extreme tonal shift because I was, God, fuck, this is the biggest tonal shift. I'm so sorry. Oh God. Okay. I was reading about, like, I was just getting really bummed by god fuck even just saying i was getting bummed like yes so i'm feeling very anxious about the unfolding war in ukraine and i read a really interesting post from a refugee advocate in australia and for anybody who doesn't know australia has a horrendous record of treatment of refugees mm -hmm. for some reason we locked them up for years at a time in offshore processing mm -hmm. facilities both major parties seem to support it it's it's a weird thing nobody i know is for it but for some reason we just keep doing it and there doesn't seem to be an end to it in any way it's one of our great national shames probably one of the two alongside treatment of first nations peoples so this refugee advocate made a point on social media to say the worst thing about any war that we're not talking about is war makes refugees you know, and, and it, it made, it, it became this really interesting thought about something that I wanted to talk about in this week's film. And it feels like I'm being really opportunistic and I promise I'm not. I was thinking about doing this film for a while and it just makes a really good point is the fact that war has all of these untold consequences that are so long lasting and kind of create the, the true problems of the world and can all be sort of traced back to two nations going to war, basically. And this, and it's, and I'm going to be like, today we're doing the Hills Have Eyes. That's what we're doing. And it's like, th that is the point I want to make about this film and why I think the bad guys in this film are incredibly interesting. So this, this is me just feeling uncomfortable about the tonal shift. But Peach, today we are doing the 2006 remake of Wes Craven's 1977 cult classic, The Hills Have Eyes. The Hills Have Eyes and Zombies. Ha, ha, ha. 
That felt deeply exploitative and ableist and problematic, Shag. Uh, you, maybe we should talk about the forthcoming war instead. Or, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, it's bad to, and it's bad to laugh about that. No, like, I'm do you know sorry. what I mean? It's like, yep. but, 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 but we've said this before, and mm. this is my most problematic opinion in that talk shows in the States sucked mm. in the weeks after 9 11 because all of a sudden Conan decided to do a serious show and it was really unentertaining for a young man in Australia watching from home. Yeah, you're like, fucking, we know. Uh, we know that. That, is, that is the most selfish idea I have, but it's true. And I also think, like, we are a podcast that continues making our content. We are the string quartet on the... The deck <laughs> of the, the Titanic. Titanic. <laughs> we are playing. We are we are doing our film recaps even as the world goes to shit. That is what we do. We're the greatest at it. They'll never be <laughs> any better than us, and we're going to leverage it into becoming the greatest filmmakers of all time. It's going to be fabulous, and that's important, right? Because mm. there's there's been a big shift in this podcast as we go along. You know. Mm. You, to some degree, mm. have gotten over your deep fear of horror f- films. Like, we haven't really tested it that much, but mm. it's gone from just being just an exposure therapy podcast to a, can we make a horror film podcast? You know yeah, what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, there's yeah, there's yeah. a few different strings to our bows now in Spooko. And with that in mind, I often think about films where I'm like, well, what can we learn from this film? And I think this film does a lot of interesting things, mm. as well as having one of the most deeply upsetting scenes I've ever seen and re-watching it. Because I think I watched this in the cinema back in 2006. Uh. And re-watching this now by myself at home, I remember getting through this scene and just being like, just having one of those scenes where I was like, oh, I just, this movie actually just makes me feel terrible. It makes me feel bad. It gives me like a knot in my stomach. Uh. And... Then it sort of turns into a bit of a that like it, it's they sort of kick butt at the end and it feels okay but you're not getting off lightly with this one and to to make sure that you understand just how brutal this is this was written by filmmaking partners Alexandra Aha and Gregory Levasseur of the French horror film uh, High Tension or yeah, yeah do you remember that yeah, one yeah so do you remember how gross that one was so this is an American film directed by those where guys. the Brad Pitt Fight Club has sex with a skull. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they use that big welding saw thing to as a, as a weapon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so written and directed by a team behind High Tension. It was a remake of, as I said before, Wes Craven's film from 1977, which was a lot more problematic because the point of that film, you know, reading into a bit of film theory about it, was mm. it was supposed to be about how to fight like... Brutality. What's the word for like prehistoric brutality? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, like degenerate, animalistic. To to fight yeah, okay. like to fight like you know brutality, you have to be brutal. Is, okay. is was the point of it, right? So for them to fight these inbred mountain men, they had to basically employ the tactics of. And and I'm I'm sorry to use those terms, but it's like that's that's what the characters were, right? Mm. So they've updated this one, I think, in a really interesting way. And this is where I get into that idea that war only creates victims is that it's about people in New Mexico who were caught in the, well, families in New Mexico 
who were affected by the American nuclear tests that happened between 1945 to 1960, whatever, mm. were affected by it. And those mutant genes went through their families and just essentially turned them into like an inbred family of mutants living in the mountains. So mm. th there's, there's an interesting layer about why they're here and why they're misanthropes and hate humanity and want to do awful things. And it, it sort of goes back to that thing where it's like, if there's an overarching reason why people are awful, it makes it that much more compelling. Cause I'm not saying there's any point in this film where you're like, I see where you're coming from. But also, there's a point in this film where it's like, I see where you're coming from. Or, or like, I see this as a consequence of what happened, kind of, like, kind of thing. Yes. You follow the logical chain. Yes. All like, right. So Yeah, you, like, you're so right, though. Like, uh, and, and we say it most weeks, as this podcast has grown, it's not Glaxnar from the pain dimension that we're worried about, <laughs> like, ever. It's always the people. Always. Sometimes I fucking miss Snarf in the pain dimension. <laughs> Sometimes that's just like like going back to Hellraiser where it's like, we'll rip your skin off. It's like, cool, thank you. Let's do Fuck. It. At least you're not potentially my neighbour or whatever. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I have to fucking, uh, uh, like, opera. I can't even do a Rubik's Cube. How am I going to open the, <laughs> like, the pain cube or whatever it's called? Anyway, all right. So this film starts mm. with a stat that something like in the years after World War II, mm. America conducted all of these nuclear tests in the New Mexican de in the New Mexico. Do you say New Mexican? That's New Mexico? a. I'd say the New Mexico desert. New Mexico desert. Anyway, yeah. so so they conducted all these tests, but apparently deny it to this day. So I don't know if that's made up or true. Mm. I just believe the last thing I'm told. So yep. if you told me it wasn't true, I'd be like, Yeah, but it's made up. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, anyway. no, I was making that up when I said it was made up. <laughs> <laughs> so we see some people in hazmat suits walking through a sort of desert, rocky area that kind of looks like Mars, but we know it's in New Mexico. And they're, they're testing for, I guess, um, radioactivity. Because oh, yeah, right. <laughs> they're, just, they're just walking around in their hazmat suits and there's lots of POV shots from their from their masks and they've got those machines that go beep, 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 you know, you know, radioactivity I mean, right? alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Basically <laughs> until they get attacked by this unseen vagina assailant with like a, a pickaxe, you know, one of those axes with Ugh. the two sides that just yeah, goes yeah. basically like pierces right through their like torsos, lifts them up on the ground and throws them around, right? Kills four of these guys or four of these people. And then the last thing we see is them chained to the back of a ute and that ute driving off through the desert as these like corpses are dragged behind it. So this is X-Men style, being a mutant gives you superpowers. Yes. Universe. So, okay. well, in this, being a mutant, well, but at least some of the mutants are like extra strong. Okay. They don't have any other powers other than being extra strong. No laser and... eyes or gambit, you charge up a playing card or anything. <laughs> Imagine if they charged up playing cards. <laughs> I love that everybody was like, that's a legitimate power. No one's going to question that. He can charge up playing cards with kinetic energy and then throw them as grenades. It must have been like, Shag, you're in a creative field. Imagine if like someone was like, guys, we need two new X-Men this week. Just hit me. Powers, hit me. Get at me. But see, that's the thing. That wouldn't be a first idea. The first idea is would be like, oh, okay, we've got... Uh, 
Blobbo. He's a giant blob. It's like, cool, yeah, we've got Teethy. He's got big teeth. And then the next day, someone who would be working on one who was, like, really good at gambling, and then someone else who was working on one who was like, what if someone, like, bombs use kinetic... I was doing some research into bombs, and they're not explosive, they're just kinetic. And all of a sudden, in the room, yes. somebody's like, hang on. That's how Gambit came by. Anyway, anyway, right. My we cut to the credits. twisted Gambit. I love it. It's awesome. We cut to the credits. And this is where it gets super interesting, right? Because... It starts with... I'm already curious. I've just seen a murder with no... You know, I'm like, I'm having fun. You've seen four murders. Oh, so that that's right. This movie is fucking brutal. So it's it, so we cut to 50-style footage of a housewife preparing a cake, and then she lights the candles on top of the cake, which then transitions to one of those... You know that test footage of nuclear explosions that you see all the time? Mushroom cloud style. Yeah, yeah. so heaps of quick cuts of these explosions going off, right? Mm. Then, like, a really fun sort of 50s-style track over the top of it. We start seeing the credits being, like, you know, Fox Searchlight pictures present. Mm. Then we start seeing images of, like, deformed legs and, you know, a baby with a, a second head coming out of it sort of thing, interspersed with these explosions going off. Mm. And then we cut to and the start with, like, of the metal film. skin and stuff that, yeah. <laughs> but then we start to the st- cut to the start of the film. And from here, apart from that start, this film is basically Jurassic Park in that the first 40 or so okay. minutes of its 106 running time is just like, things are, things are great. Maybe something will go bad, but we'll just, we just hope it won't go bad. And then everything just goes to hell. And <sighs> the, in fact, the awful scene happens pretty much exactly in the middle of this film. So anyway, starts with retired detective Bob Carter and his wife Ethel are, are traveling from Cleveland to San Diego through the New Mexico desert for their silver wedding anniversary. With them are their three children, Lynn, Brenda, and Bobby. Lynn's husband, Doug. And now Lynn's husband, Doug, is like a bit of a wiener. He's and the a dad, Jared Kushner type, yeah. I think, from the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the dad's really tough because uh, he's a retired detective and has like a massive gun. And, and, and the son-in-law... Doug is like, oh, I'd never use a gun. Like, I'm not that sort of person sort of thing. It's that vibe. Sick. Now, Lynn and their husband, Doug, have their baby daughter, Catherine, along with them and their two German shepherds, Beauty and the Beast. They stop at a gas station where the elderly attendant, after, like, a bit of weirdness, suggests a shortcut through the hills, claiming <sighs> it will save them a few hours. And there's, there's this idea that maybe he didn't have to do it and he's being pressured into doing it. Uh. Not long after, their tires are punctured by a hidden spike strip, causing the truck and trailer to crash. Horror movies love fucking spikes on the road. They do. Nick Cage won the name of which I've forgotten. Had one recently. <laughs> Willy's Wonderland. Willy's Wonderland. Um, That's two. <laughs> no, there's more. I swear there's more. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, so... Bob and Doug set off in opposite directions to find help while the rest of the family stay by the trailer. Beauty escapes, and when Bobby chases her into the hills, he finds her mutilated corpse. Now, again, I say that there's not a lot of, you know, it's there's not really any horror to begin with. Obviously, mm. this happens, and he finds the dog, and it's been sort of torn open, so he's mm. scared. So, horrified, he flees back to the trailer, but falls off the hill on the way, knocking himself unconscious. Ooh. A timid female mutant. Now, all the mutants have names, so hopefully we can keep track of them. But there are there are, there are kid mutants because there's... Are they named sort of after a... their deformities a la no. long term? Oh, maybe like some Wendy of them Wendy One Leg or whatever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, good. 
No, but the timid female mutant Ruby protects him from her brother Goggle. Meanwhile, Bob arrives back at the gas station. Now, he starts searching the gas station and he finds newspaper clippings detailing various disappearances in the area after recent nuclear testings at a mining town. And we see all these headlines being like, miners refuse to go, like people refuse to leave their town. And so the inference is that these nuclear tests happened in the 50s and 60s on mining families who lived in these towns. The, the, the eyes in the hills are the result of those generations staying and thriving in the hills. I quite like taking responsibility for, like, why do they look odd? You know, why are they competent underground? I think that that takes a bit of pushing past the first idea. That's impressive. I think think it is good. Now, I want to know how you feel about this, though. So the creators of the film, to create the mutants, looked at real deformities from Chernobyl and other, you know, humanitarian crises in, in history to develop these characters. Now, obviously, for mm. realism, that's cool. Is it cool, though? I don't know. Uh, it makes me feel a bit weird. Yeah, that's challenging ethics. Like, isn't there the, the question of do we use the research that Nazis did in World War II? Mm. Um, yeah, can you ethically make use of... Well, I guess that's a step... This is a step short of that. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not equating the two. Yeah. But, but, I mean, also, you're kind of being like anybody with a mutation is now a monster. Well, you're not because Ruby's not a monster. But you're, you're, you're drawing a line between like a horrific thing to happen to people and turning them into monsters. So, you know what, it, is, and it isn't actually cool. And it probably would have been better if they had just created them from the top of their domes. Yeah, yeah. There's almost a P.T. Barnum element of like, look how weird. Like, look at this. This is crazy. True story. I'm sure I've told you this before, but I used to work at Bridge Climb in Sydney and Mm. as part of the climb, like you climb the Sydney Harbour Bridge, goes for like three hours, only one hour of which is on the bridge. The first hour is all the training and setting up and going through the history of it one of which was like this giant suit that they had on the wall. And they were like, the cast of The Biggest Loser came through and this suit is a sign of like perseverance. And I was like, no, it's not. And they're like, what? And I'm like, that suit is a fucking freak show. You're being like, how fucking giant is this suit? <laughs> how is no this shit. Like? <laughs> no shit. The next day it was off the wall. Oh, that's amazing. All right. So Standing so, up for the repressed. So, okay. So... <clears throat> There's also photos on the wall of all these, like, baby... There's, like, all these baby photos, but all the babies have deformities. Anyway, so he goes back outside. He's got his gun now, and he's like... Oh, and then he finds, like, a whole bunch of, like, wallets and bags of clearly people that have passed through. And he's like, okay, this is fucked. So Dad Sheriff pulls out his gun, and he looks for the attendant. He finds the attendant in the outhouse who's sort of babbling to himself being like, I tried the best I could, who then puts the shotgun to his head and kills himself and in a very graphic way. And you're just kind of like, oh, wow, okay, this movie is not going to pull punches. Keep in mind, this is like 40 minutes into the film. Like we do a lot of setup of the family. We're like the family are on a nice holiday. They decide to take this shortcut. It's a bad move, but look, you know, we'll go in search of help. And then it's only when they go in search of help, they're like, hang on, fuck, like something is. (sighs) 
Now, Bob attempts to flee in an abandoned car, but is attacked by the mutant leader, Papa Jupiter, which is a great name. Yes, completely great. Excellent name. Like a great name of anything, but for a bad guy in a mm. mutant film, 100%. Mm. All right, now, Bobby... For a pet dog, good name as well. Now, Bobby is found by Brenda, but he decides not to tell his family about beauty. Doug returns after heading towards the interstate and finding nothing but a huge crowd. Oh, this is the this is the thing. So Doug, the the weenie son, the mm. weenie son-in-law, uh, heads towards the interstate and all he finds is a giant crater filled with abandoned cars. That's actually pretty great. Is that not like when you see that you're like, whoa! Like what a great way to set the scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Love that. Love that. Worried that his father has not come back. Bobby tells Doug and Lynn he doesn't think they're alone in the desert, just as Pluto and Lizard infiltrate the trailer. Okay, so this is a scene. I don't, I, like, I don't, I, I'm not going to describe the whole scene, but basically it involves two mutants infiltrate a trailer where a young girl and a baby are sleeping. The elder sister and then the mother interrupt things that are happening in the trailer. They... Both the elder sister and the mother are killed by the mutants. Uh, the younger sister manages to escape and the mutants kidnap the baby and leave. And the, the reason they're able to do this is they distract everyone. This is happening co- concurrently. Mm. They distract everyone by, if you remember, Papa Jupiter kidnapped Bob. Mm. They've tied him to a tree and set it alight. So he's screaming and burning alive. And there, and so Doug, um, Bob's wife, you know, others are trying to save that while things are happening in the trailer. Oh, God. So they eventually put the fire out when they realise what's happened. They scare the mutants away, but the mutants escape with the baby and uh, Lynn and Ethel have died from gunshot wounds. It is a... It, it, like, it is an upsetting scene. I'm not going to describe it because I don't need to. It's... It's it's one of the most brutal things I've ever seen, and it's it, it like if you're if you are curious about seeing it, that's cool. But just know it will just make you feel bad. Like there what there's no that like there's there's no good side to it. There's no cool thing to learn. It's just a bad scene. Is charcuterie gonna have stuff like this, or is it gonna be a bit gentler? Well, I don't know, Peach. This is the decisions we need to make. Yeah. Um, Maybe, yeah, look, uh, like, uh, never say never, but I don't want to be a podcast that describes a scene like the one I'm not talking about here. Anyway, the next morning, because because just the worst has happened, Doug, along with the beast. Now, remember, Doug's partner has been killed. His mother and father-in-law have been killed and his baby is kidnapped. So Doug now, who was the pacifist, I've never used a gun, Mm. is like, fuck this. I'm going to go rescue my baby. So he sets out to rescue Catherine. He comes across a abandoned mining cave system. And when he goes through it, he emerges into an abandoned nuclear testing village where the mutants are currently living. But it's empty. It's not empty. So they're basically a little community. And what's interesting, as he walks around it, they're sort of all just going about their normal lives including a couple of kids who are just playing with dolls in one room, which is just like, it's uh, like, I don't want to write off this movie because of that scene completely. Cause there's so many good parts of it, but it's hard not to anyway. So 
he sneaks around and he almost finds out where he needs to go, but then he's knocked unconscious by another mutant called Big Mama. He awakens in an icebox and he escapes and he encounters Big Brain. So I'm going to explain Big Brain. So Big Brain is basically incapacitated and just has a mass because he has a massive deformity on his head that sort of goes down his body. And he's just sitting there watching TV in a big rocking chair. And he does the exposition where he basically explains, it's like, we hate you because we basically hold you responsible for everything you've done to our family. Like anybody who is not deformed is therefore part of what happened to us. And it is that thing of culpability of like, <sighs> if you didn't help stop something, would you kind of let it happen? And uh, I'm, again, I'm not like, it's just such an interesting point where, like I said, you're not like, I agree with you. Yay, go the mutants. But you're kind of like, oh, you guys aren't, de you guys aren't snarf demons from the blood dimension. Yes, yes, yes. Again, like a like a bad guy who you, who is justified. It's 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 a very attractive, very attractive villain. Anyway, so look, Pluto appears now. Pluto is one of the big scary ones, um, and attacks Doug. But Doug manages to gain the upper hand and kills Pluto with his own axe before killing another mutant. You called it called Cyst. Mm. Now at this point, Big Brain knows what's happening, so he orders Lizard to kill Catherine the baby. Doug sets the dog, because he's gone, so I should have explained, so when he goes, he goes with Beast, the dog that wasn't killed, he sets Beast on Big Brain, and because Big Brain's just confined to a chair, uh, Beast just mauls Big Brain to death. Now, even though the baby has been basically put in peril, by Big Brain. Ruby, remember our good mutant from the beginning, mm. manages to take the baby from Lizard and escapes through the hills. Back at the trailer, Brenda and Bobby build this awesome explosive trap where they basically take a line of matches and tie it to the bottom of the screen door and then fill the trailer with petrol. So when they open the screen door, the matches will light and then the whole thing will go up. Yep. Which they set off when Brenda is attacked by Papa Jupiter. Meanwhile, Doug catches up with Ruby, but Lizard attacks them before Ruby can hand Catherine over. A struggle ensues, and Doug manages to defeat him with Sis's shotgun. Ruby then gives Doug his daughter back. Lizard, still alive, aims the shotgun at Doug, but Ruby tackles Lizard off a cliff, sending them both falling to their deaths. Oh, God. The, the saving grace, though, is the baby survives. Mostly Ruby unarmed. doesn't. Ruby does not, and it's sad. Bobby and Brenda find Jupiter wounded from their trap and Brenda finishes him off with a pickaxe before the siblings are reunited with Doug, Catherine and Beast. As the survivors of the Carter family embrace, an unknown mutant watches them from afar through binoculars. And this is the start of a long line of the Hills Have Eyes films. Uh, and the end of this one. Sorry. And that's the is, end of that the, one, yeah. yeah. So, so they're safe. They managed to actually get the upper hand. It wasn't through yep. luck. They... They found their courage and they defeated their uh, these monsters, but there are still mutants alive and watching them from the hills. Yeah, look, I don't like the ableism. I, I don't. I don't like the othering of people who are victims of something. And 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 Shag, I like your analysis of um, nuclear testing being a you know testing a weapon, weapon of war. These people essentially being victims. You know, on the home front, being being damaged by these weapons of war, um, 
and then that, you know, a generation later, oh, well, no, sorry, you, you know, however long it takes to fill a canyon with cars, you know, is the consequence of failing to, failing to what? Failing to avoid war. Shag, war is bad, I think. So I think we can applaud this for reasons including that. But including a troubling scene, right? I remember we spoke about um, scenes that, that might be extremely brutal to areas of the body that, that, that we don't normally see brutality. And I remember you saying um, something to the effect of if you included a scene like that, it would be all that um, people would take from your movie. They, like, they wouldn't really take much. They'd just be hanging out for the scene where someone's dick gets sliced into little bits or whatever it is. Um, and I wonder whether the scene that we didn't describe in this film passes or fails that test. Like, can you can you have a partial success of a film? Can you say, oh, yeah, yeah, there's something here, but ugh, the middle bit you, that we've got to steer clear of. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the cool thing and the tough thing about the horror genre where it forces you to ask yourself difficult questions. It's not just like every, there was nothing unproblematic about that film. The short answer is I, I don't, like, to be honest, I don't actually understand the question, but the short answer is, like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think there's, a, there's an easy answer for what a scene like the one I had. And, and to make it clear, it's not about one particularly brutal thing happening. It's just a lot, like, it's just an awful moment in time that I wish I, wish I wasn't privy to. And... That, that's 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 the only way I can really describe it, and I really don't want to dwell on it any longer. But Peach, if I was going to end this episode on a callback, mm. what positive affirmation do you think Papa Jupiter should have had, or Big Brain should have had, you know, post? And in fact, no, we can't even make jokes about this. What am I talking about? Oh my god, these tonal shifts. Shag, this is great. We're one step closer. On our journey to, I'm not even sure I want to dominate the horror film industry. <laughs> Do we want to nominate? Imagine if we did. Imagine if it was like, oh, it's the Spooko boys, they've done it again. <laughs> it's their new film, Snuff in the Blood Dimension. <laughs> We've got some thoughts about recent world events. Spooko boys, <laughs> what's going on? Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?